right, so we've been in a sermon series for the past uh, few weeks now. It's been really a good one, interesting. The title of the sermon series is, How Do I Really Feel About God? It's kind of an interesting question, and we've been looking at it from all different angles, and today, to continue it, is our community pastor, Sarah Firsty. Why don't we welcome Sarah? Hi, everybody. As I look around the room, I'm so excited and happy to see you all. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, so we're going to talk today. We're going to continue this series, like John said. Last week, I don't know if you were here to hear Charles, but he spoke from, uh, what was it? I think it was Luke 10 on the story about Mary and Martha. And he talked about how we can live in our head rehashing negative past experiences and how that actually damages our health. So it's on the uh, on the website if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's. This week we're going to continue on and we're going to talk about how external things in our life shape the way that we see God and the way and our attitudes about life. Have you ever wondered what is God's will for my life? Anyone ever had that thought? I've had that thought. And we're going to read in a moment a verse that talks about, in fact, it is surprisingly direct and straight in answering that question. And it's in First Thessalonians. It says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. And as I've been planning and prepping for this talk over the past week or so, I've been reflecting on this verse because I have felt like, you know, it's something that there's something in there for us. And it sounded like a really good idea on Sunday and Monday. And then on Tuesday, my perspective started to change. And I wondered, how could a sane and feeling person be thankful and joyful in the aftermath of the tragedy that happened in this neighborhood. The attack last Tuesday rocked our world. It was upsetting. It was scary. We felt a loss of safety and security. We feel uneasy in our neighborhoods. And it's been so heartbreaking to hear the news of the people who lost their lives and the families that were left behind. So let's just pause for a moment right now and bring these feelings to God. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you with these feelings of sadness and pain and loss, and we ask that you would bring your peace. Bring your peace to our hearts. Bring your peace to our city. Bring your peace to those who are mourning in all of this, Lord. May your love shine through, touching each and every broken heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So, back to this verse. Joyful, praying always, thankful in all circumstances, this is kind of bothering me. I'm going to move it. That sounds like pie-in-the-sky thinking. 
Yet, those are the things that God wants for us. But how could that really be possible? Especially when bad things happen. Well, even though it hasn't always made sense to me, modern science and scriptures agree that not only will a grateful attitude help in hard times, it's absolutely essential. In fact, it's precisely under crisis conditions that we have the most to gain by a grateful perspective on life. In the face of demoralization, gratitude has the power to energize. In the face of brokenness, power has, or gratitude has the power to heal. In the, space, in the face of despair, gratitude has the power to bring hope. So, what if? What if God's big plan for our lives is to help us see the world from a safe and secure and deeply loved place? That allows us to have a thankful perspective and maximize our joy no matter what the circumstance. I kind of like the sound of that plan. (laughs) That sounds really good to me. So let's take a look at another passage that is very similar to this one. It's in Philippians chapter 4. And first, we're going to talk about the background to it. The Apostle Paul wrote this in somewhere around 60 AD to a small church in Philippi, a church that he had started just a few years before. And he was writing this letter to encourage the believers in Jesus to stick with their faith and to grow and to make knowing Jesus and becoming like him their big pursuit. And one of the most interesting aspects of this letter is that Paul is writing from prison. He's facing some pretty horrible circumstances, and yet he finds the will to communicate to his friends in this upbeat way. Here's how he wraps up this letter to the Philippians. Always be joyful in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. Wow, that's pretty amazing stuff from a guy sitting in jail. And there's a lot that we could talk about in this passage. There's so many interesting things there. But I'd like to focus today on three concrete actions that Paul encourages us to do in this letter 
and I'd like to take some time to give them a try. So those three things are always be joyful, talk to God about our worries and needs, and be thankful by focusing on the good stuff. Well, let's start with number one, because that one is a pretty tall order. Always be joyful. I mean, if we committed in this room to always be joyful, how long do you think we would last? A week? A day? An hour? I mean, that's a tall order. But I think the way that we could always be joyful, the only way we could always be joyful is by praying about everything and being thankful. Number two and number three are the secret sauce. They're the dynamic duo of faith. Two and three get us to one. So if we become preoccupied with our worries and our needs, it's pretty much impossible to be joyful. And if we only focus on the good without being honest about our fears and our worries, we're left with shallow positivity instead of true joy. So for those of you who relate well to complicated math equations, let me put it this way. Talking to God about our needs plus being thankful by focusing on the good stuff equals a joyful life. So now it's time we're going to do what is called a spiritual exercise. And I know that some of you came today hoping to sit and relax and listen to a nice person talk. (laughs) And you're going to get part of that. But what we're doing is talking about an idea. And a spiritual exercise is something that takes it from the head to the heart. We can talk about thanksgiving and gratitude and how lovely that is all day long. And it's not going to change our life. Ideas don't change our life. It's when the idea settles into the heart. So I'm going to ask you to do a few things this morning that you might think, "Ah, this is going to take a little effort. And yes, it will. But you know what? I promise you it will be worth it because it will start to develop in you something that is good, something that is life-changing. So our focus for this exercise is don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. So let's take a few minutes to tell God, I feel stressed out about a project due on Monday. I need energy. I need peace so that I can think clearly. Whatever those things are that are weighing you down right now, express them to God. Okay. This is a handy spiritual exercise. And we would really benefit from incorporating it into our life on a regular basis. It's the first step of the process 
that Paul laid out for us in Philippians, expressing our worries and our needs to God. So instead of staying in mind in our minds with our worries and our anxieties, we've shared it with God. And when we do that, good things happen. So if at some point during the exercise you noticed a greater sense of peace or a shift in perspective, a good idea, maybe you felt less alone or more hopeful, take a moment right now and just say, thanks, God. Thank you for that. Amen. So now let's move on to the second part of the equation. Be thankful, focus on the good stuff. And to do that, it's really important that we make a distinction between feeling grateful and being grateful. Because we don't have total control over our emotions. We can't just flip a switch and feel less grateful or depressed, less depressed or happy. Being grateful is a choice. It's a prevailing attitude that endures and is relatively immune to the gains and losses that go in and out of our life. And before we do this exercise, there's something I want to mention. The Apostle Paul gives us insight on how we can make that kind of choice. He says to fix your eyes on what is good and true and honorable. To fix our eyes. That's making a decision to think this way. For some people, this happens automatically. For a lot of us, it's not an automatic response. It's something that we learn. People who are naturally good at this are scanning their environment all the time for things to appreciate and say thank you, as opposed to scanning the environment for mistakes and for flaws and for injustices. The Gottman Institute has done a lot of research in this area and has found that the habit of looking for what is going wrong versus what is going well doesn't just affect us. It affects relationships. And here's some of their findings. People who have a negative habit of mind miss 50% of the positivity that outside objective observers see. So the positive habit of mind is actually more accurate. If you have a negative habit of mind, you distort towards the negative, and you don't see the positive. People with the positive habit of mind see the negative, but they dwell on and celebrate the positive. And when we lose our ability to notice the good, It's obviously going to be hard to be grateful and thankful. But we also run the risk of something else that's really damaging. It's taking on a contemptuous attitude in life. Contempt makes it hard to enjoy life and to enjoy people. Contempt is the number one factor that tears relationships apart. 
Contempt colors our views of God. Contempt not only kills love in relationships, contempt has been proven to kill a partner's ability to fight off viruses and cancers. It's crazy stuff. Noticing the good and expressing gratitude is the antidote for contempt. So now it's time for that spiritual exercise. And this one is meant to help develop gratitude by noticing the good stuff. So on this page, you have 10 areas of life. And look for the good things in those areas. And our focus verse is fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Just a few more seconds and we'll be done with this portion. Okay. So yay for us. We've started noticing the good stuff. That is where gratitude begins. Now, let's cultivate it. Let's deepen it so it takes root in our hearts. We're still in our minds. We made a list pretty easily without really having to think deeply. So we're going to do something in a, min- in a few minutes. We have a little bit of, to help us think about why we're thankful for something. When we think about why we're thankful for something, that is what helps our gratitude grow. It's a really important step of the process. It gets it from here to here. It's a chance to notice and to savor the good in your life. And it's the savoring that cultivates more gratitude. My favorite Jesuit, James Martin, says this about this process. Many things, no matter how seemingly inconsequential, are occasions for gratitude. Savoring is an antidote to our increasingly rushed lives. Savoring allows us to slow down for a moment and appreciate what's in front of us. It's a deepening of our gratitude to God, revealing the hidden joys of our days. I like to think of savoring in terms of red wine because I really like red wine. And if someone were to buy for me a great expensive glass of red wine, there's a couple of ways that I could drink it. One would be to say, yippee, and take it and drink it all down in a few seconds. I've done that before. (laughs) But there's another way to do it. It would be to take that glass of wine and to swirl it around and to appreciate the color, to notice the color, to put my nose in the glass, to take a big whiff, and to smell it and try to detect what I'm smelling. And then to take a sip and hold it in my mouth and think about the flavors that I'm tasting. What do I love so much about this wine? That's the savoring process. And it changes my experience of wine. 
It's a big difference to gulp down a glass of wine and to taste wine in this way. So we're going to try to savor right now. And so take a minute or two and look at the list that you filled out and pick one or two, well, just pick one. Pick one thing from the list and try to express why you're thankful for it. Try to be as specific as you can be and then write it down on your paper. Just a few seconds left. Now, I don't know if you can relate to me, but rattling off some things that I'm grateful for is so much easier than trying to really think about and express why I'm grateful for them. And it's, it's that transference of really dealing with the heart. It's part of that cultivation. And cultivation is a little bit of work and a little bit of effort. But it's what brings about good things, this savoring process. There's a scientific expert on gratitude at UC Berkeley. His name is Dr. Robert Emmons. And he talks about gratitude as having two stages. The first stage is the noticing and acknowledging the good stuff. And the second stage of gratitude is recognizing that some of the sources of this goodness lie outside the self. At this stage, the object of gratitude is other-directed. One can be grateful to other people, to animals, to the world, and to God, but not to oneself. At this stage, we recognize not only the goodness in our lives, but who is to thank for it. And who has made sacrifices so that we can be happy? And it's this second stage of gratitude that brings connection. It strengthens our social ties because we acknowledge that other people contribute to our well-being. We feel supported and affirmed by them. And then we become more altruistic, more outgoing more sensitive, more helpful, less lonely, and less isolated. This is the power of gratitude. And we have one final spiritual exercise. Just one more left. We're almost ready to go. And this one, we're going... Do they already have it? Or Oh, okay, great. So Great, thank you guys for passing out this next one. Our focus verse for this exercise is keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing then the god of peace will be with you so the the people in philippi had the apostle paul as their role model as their mentor In this exercise, you're going to think about someone in your past who's been an influence to you. And you're going to write a note, an imaginary note. We're not going to take these from you and mail them out. This just stays with you. Don't worry about grammar or spelling. And try to be specific in describing what this person did, why you're grateful, 
and how that behavior has affected your life. And try to be as concrete as possible. We'll take a few minutes to do that. Okay. Hopefully that was a meaningful exercise. When I think about gratitude and the impact it has, one of the first things I think about is our friend Kieran Martin, the founder of ASHA, an organization in New Delhi. And they work in the slums there. And she has this to say about the transforming power that she's seen in the slums through gratitude. Gratitude is the fruit of great cultivation When we cultivate a grateful attitude, we live, we learn to live in a state of grace. Every event in life, both good and bad, becomes an opportunity to learn, to grow, and to expand our capacity to love. When we live in gratitude, compassion becomes the foremost emotion when dealing with others. Gratitude and selfless service go hand in hand. Gratitude has the power to heal, to energize, to change lives. Isn't that amazing? And that's what she's seen in the slums in New Delhi. Gratitude is the fruit of great cultivation. Cultivation takes attention. It takes some savoring. And as we practice it, something changes not only in us, but the way we see our whole world. So I'd like to challenge us as a community to continue to cultivate gratitude in our lives during the whole month of November by celebrating Gratitude-Tuesday. So each Tuesday in November, let's think about one thing for the week that we're grateful for and why. And then go to the River NYC Facebook page and post it. It would be great exercise just for, you know, our own selves, but it also be so inspiring and encouraging to read the posts of all these people in our community. So let's take this chance to take the seeds of gratitude that we've planted here and help them grow so that we can live the way that God has designed us to live, a joyful life. We have two more ways that we can experience and practice thankfulness today. One is through worship. Today, as John leads us, let's move beyond just singing the words to savoring them. Like they're an expression of our heart's direction, the place, the way that we want our heart to move and grow in. The second way we can practice gratitude is through celebrating the sacrament of communion. A sacrament is an action made holy or special because it demonstrates a spiritual truth. Lou, can I use you in a quick little... I'm going to show you what this is like. Can you come up here for a second? Thank you, Lou. 
So I could say to Lou, Lou, this is true, I really appreciate you. And she could feel that. Or I could do, Lou, I really appreciate you. Thank you, Lou. You can sit down. (laughs) That hug was an outward expression of what I'm feeling inside. And that's what the sacrament of communion is. The sacrament of communion is the action of taking the cracker, dipping it in the juice, putting it in our mouth, chewing, swallowing, as a demonstration of taking in with appreciation and gratitude Jesus' sacrificial love for us. So during the music, I'm going to be standing right over there, and I'll be serving communion. I invite everyone to partake if they'd like to. Communion at the river is optional, and it's open. It's to open to anyone who wants to receive that love. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you, God, that seeds of gratitude and thanksgiving have been planted today. And I pray that you would help us to cultivate those seeds, that they would transform our lives, that they would transform the way that we see and interact with our world. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.